0: Well, hello, everyone. Welcome again to another edition of Troy Talks Live. Uh, Thank you for uh, my listeners, uh, my tribe, for uh, listening to the podcast episode. Again, I really appreciate your support. Uh, I have another special guest uh, here today. I'm excited about this. And all my guests are are very special. And one of the reasons is I'm I'm very selective on who I have on my podcast. But today, let me tell you a little bit about my guest, and then we'll get started. Uh, She is a 20-year corporate executive Uh, and board director. Uh, She's currently the managing director at Accenture. Uh, She's been nicknamed the turnaround queen uh, by former colleagues and employers. Uh, She typically inspires and empowers her teammates in leading psychological turnarounds, which are as much about changing mindsets as it is about restoring uh, and growing revenues. And that's very important there, mindset over uh, uh, money. So make sure we'll, we'll hopefully we'll get to cover that. Uh, also, she was uh, one of the youngest COOs uh, at the age of 24. She was president by 35 and, at, uh, and CEO at, at the age of 41. Now, uh, she, she doesn't look her age, but I let her tell her age if she wants to do that. We know how women are about their age. Uh, but also, she's a pro- prolific motivational and inspirational speaker. She's delivered keynotes discussing the importance of personal branding and its impact on professional growth. Uh, she's uh, the power BI on corporate cultures and building a life of resilience. I want to introduce to some and present to others, Victoria Pelleter. Victoria, I hope I pronounced your last name correctly, but uh, the mic is yours now, Victoria. Thank you for joining us.
1: Troy, thanks for having me. I'm really happy to be here today.
0: Yes, great. So, uh, Victoria, uh, we had our discussion and uh, or a pre-interview. And one of the things that uh, we didn't really get to cover, but I want you to start from this point, the childhood trauma, your experience as a child and how it has helped you to get where you are now.
1: Yeah, it's something I, I wouldn't have shared so openly probably 10 or 15 years ago, but I've leaned into it greatly now as I coach and mentor others and I talk about My personal and professional, both stumblings um, and lessons I've learned, the things I wish my 20-something-year-old self would have known, Mm -hmm. and I can't do that without talking about my early beginnings. It is truly what's informed me and drives me forward. So I'm born to a drug-addicted teenage mother who was extremely abusive to me and in and out of care. Thankfully, I was removed from her care and I was adopted, so I'm fortunate that way, uh, but that, you know, caused this great fear of rejection uh, and loss. And I was also, although one would hope it would be a fairy tale from there, I was, um, you know, adopted. Although by, you know, loving parents, socioeconomically not well off. My mom was a secretary. My dad a school janitor. Mm-hmm. And then significant trauma from there, whether it was sort of being ostracized for hitting my height. Um, at a very, and growth at a very, very early age by, you know, 10, I was taller than my teacher, um, mm-hmm. extremely well-developed, you know, I was raped in my teens on and on and on. And so that all of those things are what's driven me forward to control the thing that I could control, which was really actually initially to do with work and how I showed up and I performed. And also this unstoppable um mantra that i have and the recognition that i've chosen to chosen to say there's no excuses right we choose how to respond to what happens to us so there's a bit of it
0: so okay so abusive mother teen abusive teenage mother uh and then raped and also adopted now did you have an abuse with your adopted family or it was just the social economical challenges that you had
1: well, I had a relatively absent father who was not an amazing human to my mother, uh, and somewhat absent. And my mother was an amazing, amazing woman. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for me, you know, family are those that raised you. Julie wow. is my biological mother who, mm-hmm. you know, passed away from all of her drug use. Uh, and my mom is the woman that raised me. Now, it was uh, somewhat tough because she wasn't diagnosed until I was in my late teens as being manic depressive. Okay. It was challenging. So, although I graduated high school at sixteen, chose to stay at college locally so that I could live at home and save money. Um, I ended up moving out uh, immediately afterwards just because of the challenge with her mental mm-hmm. health diagnosis. Um, but fortunately, no further physical abuse from my parents.
0: Okay. Okay. So, sixteen, you move out the house, you go to college. Uh, So I assume four years in college, you 19 or 20. Correct. Correct. So so how did you get from a college graduate 20 and four years later, you become a COO. Tell us about that journey. How did you get there? Because, you know, uh, uh, many of us, you know, we some people got masters and doctors and are not (laughs) a CEO. So tell us about that journey.
1: Well, I I think there was a a multitude of things. So, Troy, I started working at age 11. I worked in a hair salon, you know, sort of all the administrative kind of not so fun tasks and sweeping the floor and doing laundry and, um, you know, making appointments and taking cash. And then I moved into, you know, retail at 14 or 15 and became assistant manager by 16 i was working two jo- uh, like two jobs while i was in school so i you know managed medical facilities ensuring all the doctors got paid and i stayed and did that for years i was a whiz at doing it on the computer early like very early adopter to technology and then when i was in university i worked for a bank in their contact center because it allowed great it was open 24/7 so great flexibility around the hours to work around my my school schedule okay. and within 6 months i got promoted Mm-hmm. and uh, into a leadership role and continued to progress and progress. That was one part of it. Two is I performed really well in the role. And so I'm always, again, the thing I said I could control. And three, I took advantage of the um, education that was available through the bank. So I got my securities license. So I ended up leading a discount brokerage call center environment. So when I got a knock you know, on my door for the COO role, It was a stretch for them to hire me, no doubt about it. I had, you know, strong operations experience, but in that role I stepped into, not only was I leading delivery contact centers and operations, I had technology, I had HR, I had sales, I had everything except finance. Uh, But they wanted me because I had been running large-scale call center operations for financial services companies who were their largest clients. So they, I had. Tick, tick, tick in the box of many of those items okay. um, and a strong work ethic and confidence, quite frankly, when I showed up.
0: Now, uh, uh, Victoria, uh, sec- sec- since when, you my when you get to talk, you caught my attention. So securities license. Which securities license did you have?
1: I um, I ended up with both my so I'm originally from Canada. So at the time I was in, um, in, uh, Toronto okay. and I have my Canadian mutual funds license first. And then I got the Canadian securities license to sell the rest of the securities as
0: well. Okay. Okay. Now in the U S, uh, Stockbroker Series Seven. I had that license. It's not an easy test uh, uh, to, to to take. So, I, so that's the reason why I brought that up. I see. I knew about it. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah, It wasn't it wasn't back back right. then either. The Canadian yeah. version.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, so, work ethic um, and also leadership, technology, and uh, you took advantage of uh, education and licenses. You got a 24-year-old now coming, well, let's say a 21-year-old now coming out of college. From your experience and what you've accomplished, what advice would you give them to help them? We're not saying that they're going to be a COO. I don't think that's something that's happened rarely, but what could they do? What tips would you give them to to taking advantage of the opportunities that's presented before them?
1: Yeah, I attribute in broad buckets, my career success to my ability to perform and -hmm. performance means I understand what is expected of me and how I am measured, what success looks like Mm -hmm. first and foremost, and then deliver against that with a strong work ethic. But I also maintain my skills and my relevant skills required, not just for today, but investing in future. And that's something, interestingly, a newer generation and workforce, that's their view of security. Job security is around investment in them and their development. Mm-hmm. Next thing is around the development of my my personal brand and my network. Very early on, I made a shift into business to business. And we know people do business with people they like, they trust, and therefore they want to do business with. And they have lots of choice. So not only did I need to perform well and my team need to deliver I needed to differentiate them and me as their leader. So I built a very curated, that brand that I am more than my COO title. I am a strong leader who builds great culture, who focuses on DE&I. And I have all of these other passions and I'm this well-rounded whole individual person who wants to have a great impact. And then who I networked with both strategically as well as organically. And then building the right kind of mentors and sponsors is very important for, for newer individuals. And then also, I'd say this whole notion of creating, you know, boundaries, Um, they call it quiet quitting, which which for me is just another word for, you know, the creation of boundaries and delivering, but understanding what you're prepared to do to gain a a better life integration between, you know, work and personal.
0: I got notes, I'm jotting notes for those that are listening in, So because she's hit on three things, and I just don't know if we're going to have the time on, on it, so I'm jotting notes. So... Uh, one of the things I want to uh, talk about, uh, I wanted to talk about personal branding, uh, and then network, but let's talk about the quiet quitting because that's a, that's a, a term and topic, uh, that's, uh, very popular now. Now here's the problem that I have. It, it, one problem is, it's view. The definition is viewed differently from, from most. So you can't get a, a, a clear definition. However, some people say that, uh, and and I'll let you elaborate on your view of this, uh, uh, Victoria. Some people say that, uh, uh, you know, basically you should go beyond the call of duty. Now, you mentioned about work work ethic, okay? So you got to go beyond the call of duty. But then there's the other school of thought is you contracted me and my obligation is to do do a job and I get paid to do that job. Should I do more that I'm not compensated, or am I not fulfilling the obligation because you expect me to go over and beyond? But I'm doing what I'm contract contracted or obligated to do. What is your view on this quiet quitting?
1: <laughs> well, so I think you know quiet quitting. I mean, great for media headlines. As um, now, there's also quiet firing, um, which right. I hate that one as well. I, and I think it's been around forever, for forever in. Called different things, so okay. I think there could be sort of this st- strategic nature of people who don't want to do certain mm-hmm. tasks or activities, so they pretend to not be good at it or whatever, and mm-hmm. hopefully it gets assigned assigned to others. That's one. Two, the other word it's more commonly called is disengagement, and so people who don't like the role they do they're not happy with the company the culture whatever and so they choose not to as you say you know this call of duty go above and beyond and then there's the third piece which is the more the one that sort of come out of the pandemic which is people recognizing that they're reassessing whether they want to hustle hard all the time Mm -hmm. or do they want to create some stronger boundaries between the two so i think quiet quitting can describe any one of those kind of three areas or dynamics. Mm-hmm. And now to your question over, should we like hustle hard all the time? I, I mean, that, that, that's an individual's choice. You're right, a company is paying you mm-hmm. X amount to deliver X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. And you can choose to just do that. But then there's a reassessment over where do you want to go in your career? Mm -hmm. And I personally, when I'm looking to promote people, I don't always hire everyone that's got 10 out of 10 of the checklist items. I hire for potential and I hire for attitude Mm -hmm. as well. And knowing that when the, time is tough and clients demand, and I'm in the B2B environment. So sometimes we are at the whim of clients who want things when they want it, and we cannot always say no and manage their expectations. And so when a time like that comes that, you know, we're going to go above and beyond, although if you work for the right leader, then they're going to ask that, but they're going to take care of you at a later point, mm-hmm. right? You know, or take some extra yeah. time do this. I recognize what you did. And so there's a trade-off, but also for those who have aspirations to grow higher and higher. And I'll tell you, you know, the, the larger salaries that come with these C-suite type roles come with in many, many, many long hours too.
0: Yeah. You know, you made me chuckle. Uh, I don't know if you caught me chuckling and you guys can't see me. So you mentioned, uh, something in, in what you were saying. And I remember when I was in the Navy. So, I was on an aircraft carrier, and so I was a E three, and then I met, I passed a test and made E four. So I didn't have to stay on the flight deck. So flight deck is one of the most dangerous jobs in the world, and so I didn't have to stay on the flight deck. So I was down in the shop, and so the uh, other guys, um, what they call the uh, E five and above, some of those, you know, because of their because of their job, they were on the flight deck. So they said, well, since you down here, hope we want you to make the coffee. And I said, well, I'm not a coffee maker and I don't drink coffee. And they kept insisting on me making the coffee. And I said, okay, I'll make the coffee. And so normally it's two cups. I think I put four cups in there. And when they got the coffee, they said, no, we don't want you to make the coffee anymore. And I said, I told y'all I don't make coffee, but I purposely did that. That would made me think about that. I purposely put the four <laughs> yeah. cups in there where they wouldn't have to, Well, I had to make the coffee. But great point uh on the DEI, and I like the part that you said uh if you have great leadership, the great leadership will recognize that you went over and beyond, and then they will also because they care about you, not just the productivity, they care about you as a person. They would say, Hey, take some time off or do something like that. I love that. And and th- those type of leaders. Uh, end up having great people that stick with them and those people accomplish a lot because they know the leader, leader cares about them. Now, you mentioned something about personal branding and networking. This is something that I hear a lot, especially when I was on Clubhouse uh, and I was part of some LinkedIn uh, uh, clubs and, and groups, and this was talked about a lot about personal branding Uh, And it's really promoted on LinkedIn because uh, many times the brand is typically a person they work for, an employer, and the brand is the employer. So let's talk about personal branding. Why should someone have a personal brand? And and what can they go about to develop their personal brand? So
1: I think we need it for a whole host of reasons. At an individual level, we are more than our job title and the company we work for.
0: Say that again. Can you say that again so my audience will get that?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. We are more than our job title and the companies we work for. You know, we are whole individuals. And I think that people want to work with individuals that they built trust and ideally they like or at least have some commonality with. So talking about the other elements of ourself shows that whole authentic person. So who who are you? I mean, again, I've held multiple titles, but what does that say about who I am or what I deliver? You know, turnaround queen as you introduced me in the bio is something I'm known for. I transform businesses. I've been through 18 mergers and acquisitions, but I do that. I'm also known for being a, you know, leader who's maniacally focused on building the right kind of responsible, human-centered leaders and building the right kind of culture. And so I think we need to be focused on building that. And also there's no there's no job security. So if you haven't built a brand that's known outside of your organization, then you're starting maybe not from ground zero, but you're starting you know from several steps back. For example, mm-hmm. you need to be looking for a job. And then I also think there's the ability to look at side hustles right? Like you might ha- you need a job that pays a certain amount for your bills, but then you have things that you're passionate about. And I think that's important to, you know, build again, that holistic brand. For me, that's my public speaking work. That mm-hmm. you know, That's not what necessarily pays, pays all of my mortgage, but it, it can help. Uh, you know, so my brand is known and what I talk about are related to everything that has to do with me. And I, I work for companies who, focus on a slice of that. Again, what's your subject matter expertise? Are you like a data expert? Are you like, do you know finance? Like, what is it? Well, again, you're, you're more than just that. And I also have an issue with companies who restrict their employees from doing more. Now, not saying, you know, step outside of their social guidelines or like, you know, media training and not being aligned to their message. But again, recognizing that up, Positive personal brand reflects incredibly well on the company if done if done correctly.
0: So uh, now this is one of the things that I want to say. If, if my audience are listening and uh, and they're and and Victoria, uh, she's a managing uh, director at Acc- Accenture. Uh, uh, that what type of company is that? Because I want I'm going to want to add something here.
1: We are a massive organization with over 700,000 employees worldwide. Management consulting, technology, outsourcing. Okay.
0: I've heard of the name. I just didn't know exactly uh, what it is. But here's what I like about and you, you guys didn't catch it because I was going to ask the question and she mentioned about side hustle. So what Victoria is telling people is if, if people work for her, she encourage you to have something outside of work, particularly if it's a side hustle or something that you're passionate about, because we're not one dimensional. Uh, we are multidimensional and we have passions and things and a side hustle is a key. And so one of the things you want to ask or you can't ask your company, ask it discreetly, does a company have objection if a person has a side hustle outside of the job? Now, if it's a conflict, I can understand that. But some companies don't even want you to have a side hustle outside of the job. But Victoria is telling her she's open to that. So if you ever uh, want to uh, look for a job or want to work for her, you'll know she's open for that. Uh, but I but Victoria, you know, you're right. You know about you know that personal branding, building that brand for people to know who you are, and not just your job. And like you said, if it's time for you to look for a job or an opportunity, people know you as whatever your personal uh, brand is. So I, I really, really appreciate that. Um, the next thing I got, I jotted down, uh, is I want to deal with. Uh, she mentioned DEI, uh, diversity, uh, inclusion. Uh, initiatives, and this is something that I we hear a lot. Uh, it's a big thing on LinkedIn, but uh, this is an area that uh, she really works in. She's really passionate about, and she made a statement uh, that uh, I want her to mention that statement, and then we're going to go from there. Remember that statement that 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 you said about having privilege. You mean yes, yes, that's it.
1: Yes, yeah. It's so. Um... Well, so I'll address the privilege question. Um, the, you, you know, when I I acknowledge that though, I am in, um, I have been the only many times, uh, whether that's the only woman at the table at that first COO role, I was the youngest by at least two decades, being part of the LGBT community more broadly. And so I'm used to it, but I always come at it recognizing my, the great privilege that I have to be born Caucasian And in North America, not something, a black man, um, I have an advantage being a white person in North America, generally given everything we've seen from a social unrest standpoint, or being born in North America, when I look at, you know, whether it's African countries or, sorry, Ukraine right now, right? Like there's privilege that I have. So as Mm -hmm. much as I may have experienced some you know uh, um, hatred for a variety of reasons, or to be marginalized as a woman, or other reasons. I, I always want to recognize that I have privilege, and I would hope that everyone would be able to do the same, even if they're in one of these marginalized groups.
0: Now, Victoria, I'm, a, I'm gonna want to stick to privilege just a little bit. So with privilege. Uh, we know that you're speaking from a, a Caucasian standpoint, and we know that sometimes women are disadvantaged uh as because of being a female. But why do people get triggered when someone says, hey, you privilege? Why 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 is it that some people get triggered?
1: Um, yeah, I think there's there's potentially just a sort of a mis misnomer around it. And uh I think it's I I think the word itself can be abused sometimes. And so just a lack of understanding of what what it means, quite frankly. Yeah.
0: So with that being said, I I came across this on LinkedIn and I'm gonna get your view. Um, And and I just wanna get your, your, your point of view. This is still talking about privilege. Someone said that a white person many times, not all the times, get hired on potential and Black people get hired on experience. You're shaking your heads. Is that I'm,
1: I'm nodding with you 100%. There's also data that proves that white sounding names versus African-American names get more interviews.
0: Okay.
1: Uh, why, and why you're seeing technology and things yeah. try and create blinded interviewing, resume screening, et cetera, because it's one, the bias exists.
0: Yeah. 100 and now people argue with that. I remember when I used to teach a Sunday school class, I used to teach a, and it was the ages were 16 to 19. And I told them, I said, look, if you have children, I said, uh, uh, you know, you get married, have children, name them names that will not put them at a disadvantage if they send in a resume. Some of them couldn't understand it. And that's the reason why I told them because the bias is because somebody see a name and they automatically assume who it is now. It could be a rare occasion, it could be wrong, because I've done interview, and I looked at the name, and I said, oh, uh, this person appeared to be an, an African-American. come in, and they're not, you know, but it's rare, but most of the time, we're, we're accurate on that, so there are biases on that. Tell us about the DEI. Tell us what, how you, your role, uh, how you operate in it, and uh, what's happening in uh, America. Again, I, I'm on LinkedIn heavily, so I see it a lot, so let's talk about this DEI uh, a concept.
1: Yeah, so this this passion of mine and my advocacy stems out of two things, my, my own personal experience, one, but two, that working in the outsourcing industry is not typically the destination. It might be new immigrants to the country come in or on in your in-between jobs. And so trying to so one, I was leading a very, very diverse workforce, but trying to keep them engaged and productive and want to be there as long as possible. I needed to create an environment in which, the, you know, it was not only great culture, but one in which they felt included, they felt belonging. So a lot of people are saying D-E-I-N-B, the sense of belonging. And so the recognition for me, I wasn't just doing it because it was the right thing to do, period, and moving the needle forward around diversity. But it's actually amazing for business in terms of, again, employee engagement, retention of employees, productivity of employees. It's actually shown that a more diverse workforce creates greater innovation within the organizations as a whole. So it's the right thing to do for business. Uh, So I've been involved for decades. And 10 or 15 years ago is when formalized employee or business resource groups were stood up for the different groups or categories, Mm -hmm. women, people of color interfaith, LGBT, you name it. So I've been involved in it in many of those programs. And so what we're seeing now is they those continue to exist, but recognizing there's intersectionality mm-hmm. across all of those. You could be a, not you personally, but someone could be a, you know, a gay African American, mm-hmm. right? So they've got multiple things they're dealing with. Mm-hmm. And so what you're seeing is a greater awareness of it, commitment and regulation related to it. Europe's farther ahead than North America is. Okay. Whether it's the S&P or NASDAQ both saying to be listed on their exchange, you have to have a certain amount of diversity on the boards and mm-hmm. uh, senior leadership. And within companies, you're seeing many of them committed to that. And that means strategic intentionality around how you're going to create a more inclusive environment. So that's policies and procedures, but that's also educating everyone around bias, as it, you know right. we talked about. And also on the appropriate actions, language, and behavior we want to see from our from our leaders and then in many cases depending on the size of the organization the use of technology to help support in some of these things so we talked about blinded resumes and the name you know issue looking only at skills uh, versus other elements to even some video um, uh, that that blurs you know the the faces so that at least a hiring manager can have a score to make decisions so we're seeing that much more and more now what
0: what do you think Oh, or let me rephrase this. What do you see the biggest mistakes that companies make in implementing DEI?
1: I see the focus on hiring diverse talent, but not solving for how quickly they exit out the back door. And so that means they're not building the right kind of environment to create okay. that sense of inclusion and belonging. So it's like they're massively focused on the front end of recruitment and talent acquisition to bring candidates in the door, but then they're not staying because the culture and environment is horrible. That's not not inclusive. And so that, that's that. there's this myopic view on the D portion of DE&I rather than all of the other. And there's no silver bullet, by the way, for this. I, I talk to CEOs and boards regularly. Mm-hmm. About this. There's not one thing that's going to solve it for them. So lean into their superpower. Let's at least, you know, as, a, as an organization, into the things that you think you can move the needle forward with. But ultimately, it's not just hiring, uh it's the, you know, the creating that inclusive belonging. And there's also, and I had no problem poking the bear when it comes to calling out the fact that it needs to lead from the top. Yeah. So, board. Yeah. CEOs and their direct reports need to look like the kind of workforce that they're trying to build and in the communities that they reside in.
0: Yeah, you know, uh, I thought about one of the things that I hear a lot, especially for Black females, is that uh, many of them, uh, you know, COVID really pushed this, but work from home. Uh, It's a big, uh, there's a big push. A lot of companies want people to come back to, to the office and so a lot of times Black female, especially if they're in tech, they love working from home because they said they deal with a lot of microaggressions. And you mentioned it about the, the culture, the environment is not conducive. So, so I guess what, what you're seeing is they hiring on the front end, but it's not enough within the company to create a culture that makes them feel safe. Is that what I'm hearing?
1: Yeah, or it makes them feel safe makes them feel confident and comfortable to show up as their whole selves. I've, you know, had a number of black men my, women women on my team and lots of conversation with other leaders and sharing their experience who, uh-huh. you know, were tired of, of the the commentary that would be told about if they decided to change their weave or do something different with their hair when they came in. Mm-hmm. So that. And then the other element is are you creating Opportunities. Once you've got them in the door, what are you doing to invest in their potential and create opportunities for them to progress within the organization?
0: Now, let me ask you this: creating opportunities. What is the challenge that these companies have in creating these opportunities? Is it, is it that they just don't look at them for leadership or a promotion? Uh, what do you? What from your experience? What, what do you find?
1: Uh, it's yes, they're not considered for um, promotion opportunities. Mm -hmm. In part, some of this will go back to the network you've built. You know, so Mm -hmm. people are doing business with people they like and they trust and oftentimes they're known or referred to them. And so this is why people need to be not only organically networking, but strategically getting outside of that comfort zone to meet Mm -hmm. other people. And so if they're not known, if someone's not advocating for them personally, when they're not in the room for those opportunities. And so I think more and more companies need to start looking at Many companies use what's called a, a nine box rating system mm-hmm. where you look at, you know, your how are you performing against your potential? And mm-hmm. so you look at that and map that back to the diversity in the organizations. And I'm tired of sitting on fishbowl or glass door or wherever, but fishbowl in particular and hearing people, white men gripe about how there's only opportunities for women and people of color right now. They're disadvantaged because they're marrying this, the the rating system with diversity metrics. Well, if you're not intentional, then the needle's not going to move. In the U.S. right now, it's going to be another 60 years before women are at parity with men in the workforce.
0: Wow, that's huge. So so let me make sure I understand what you just said, this last point. So on these uh, sites, the white men are complaining that the focus is on minorities, and they're they feel they feel that they're being left out and forgotten about. Is am I understanding that am I, is it what I'm hearing?
1: Sadly, this is what I'm reading on these boards, and it just infuriates me because I'm like, how how long have you white men had the advantage over <laughs>
0: right. Else, yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like, right, and it's funny that you said that because I've had this conversation. We've had a discussion about affirmative action and i said and i said this i said it is true with affirmative actions that if it's required and certain quotas have to be fulfilled that there may be some uh positions that uh a qualified white male typically may not get i said that that's true i said but if you look at it either way somebody loses if you don't get the quotas uh to give the opportunity to the people that do have a qualification and minorities somebody who's maybe a white male may, may not have a qualification get it. I said but if, if people would do what's right and what's fair you wouldn't have to have a law in place and that's where the problem comes in somebody ends up losing because people don't always do what's right and fair sad to say that
1: I agree agree and this is where i struggle with there's this that movement over the last number of years uh, to you know tie Compensation for executives or leaders in particular to diversity metrics and moving the needle forward. And for me, it bothers me because I don't want to have to pay people for doing the right thing. Right. However, recognize that people's compensation and these incentives drive behavior. So at the same time, if that's what's going to be necessary, then great. And one of the things I loved, Arvind, so I work for, um, IBM previously. and Arvind, um as he stepped up into the CEO role succeeding Ginny when she retired, he tied executive compensation, you know, into a portion of our compensation was tied into improving our diversity overall. Again, love hate with that. but ultimately yeah. if you needed to move the needle forward, then that was likely going to be one way to do it.
0: Wow. Well, uh, Victoria, you know, again, like I said, we could go a few uh, hours on many of these topics uh, because I, 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 a lot of them I'm, I'm interested in how have passion. Uh, but uh, we try to keep this uh, podcast at a certain length and we're coming up on that. Uh, before we wrap up, give us some final thoughts on uh, anything you want to share, any tip. Uh, uh, now, Victoria, you have a book, too, right?
1: I do, I uh right.
0: you you gotta you, you gotta so now I asked you, I said if there's anything you want me to mention. <laughs> so make sure you mention about the book. Okay, go ahead. Final thoughts and mention the about book? the book.
1: The book is um, called Unstoppable Changemakers, Daring to Make a Difference. And so I share some of my story and lessons, and that weaves its way into the public speaking. So if there's an ask for your audience, yes, you can go on my website and buy the book, but also please refer me broadly for um, speaking engagements when they're looking for a a career leadership, coaching, or motivational speaker.
0: What is one of the biggest lessons that a person can uh, glean out of the book? Oh, or two, it may be two.
1: So for me, we all have choice. You know, mm-hmm. I am not a fatalist. Stuff is going to happen to us. Obstacles and adversities are going to, you know, come our way. But how we choose to respond and pick ourselves up and be resilient is in our hands. And there's steps you can take to, you know, be more healthy in your level of resilience but that's where my hashtag no excuses comes in I cry don't get me wrong I'm a highly emotional person and I'm going to cry when that moment or something happens to me yeah and I look back up what are the goals what are the objectives I have and how am I going to move forward and who's my tribe around me supporting me
0: so if if what I'm hearing you uh, uh, what you're saying is it's okay to get emotional, uh, if something happened to you that uh, affects you, you know, uh, it's, it's, you don't have to act like you're a Superman or superwoman. It's okay to get emotional, but don't let it keep you down, you know, hold your head up and then continue to move forward. Is that what I'm hearing?
1: Exactly.
0: All uh, right. Y'all heard that, that lesson, that lesson right there is a million dollars right there. Uh, cause you can, you can, you could, you can, uh, experience the, the emotion. Uh, but don't let it stop you. Keep going. Make no excuses. Uh, now, Victoria, tell the people how they can find you, how, where they can connect with you at. So you can
1: Google me. I'm like most of probably the first 10 pages. But as you said, Troy, I'm like LinkedIn. I'm all over there. And then I also have a personal website where all the articles I post and, and whatnot sit there, which is victoria-heltier.com. And I'm sure it'll be in your, in your podcast notes so people can look up the spelling. Yes, that.
0: definitely, definitely. And I don't know if we're connected on LinkedIn. Uh, but I'll make sure uh, uh we're definitely we're connected on Podmatch. but I need to make sure we're connected on LinkedIn okay. well well Victor I really have enjoyed this uh conversation I, I I've, I've gotten more you know like I said I, I I've got stuff everywhere where I, I want to cover this cover that but I know we have a limited time on it so maybe one day we 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 need to just have uh as my uh, uh she's uh Samantha Kelly she's a big uh uh I guess, Twitter influencer. So she won't like that term, uh, but uh, we, she had a cup of tea. So we may just have a cup of tea where we just chat <laughs> <laughs> <That's great. laughs> or, or, or coffee, virtual coffee or tea, because, you know, over in, over in Ireland and the UK, they drink tea uh, and just chat. But anyway, I, I really, really appreciate you uh, taking the time out of your schedule uh, to be able to uh, have, allow me to have this interview. Uh, my audience, when this, uh, uh particular episode come out, please do us a favor. Uh, please listen, download, share it. Uh, also uh, give us a, a rating. Tell us, you know, what we can have done better or, or something. Give us some constructive criticism, criticism. We love that. Uh, Victoria, anything else?
1: No, thanks for having me, Troy. I'm really happy to be here and share and for your audience, feel free to,
0: to reach out and connect with me. Awesome. Thank you everybody, have a great day. Uh, appreciate you. Uh, and uh, enjoy the rest of your week.